we've been talking about, uh, over the last few sessions from the Word of God, what kind of God do we serve? And today I want to talk about the key to prosperity and the problem uh, related to prosperity. Uh, we've been teaching on what kind of God do we serve? Do we serve a stingy God uh, who is poor? Or do we serve a God that's not interested in our financial and material uh, realm here on earth? Do we serve a God who desires for his people on earth to be rich or to be poor, uh, to uh, struggle with sickness or to be in good health? Or do we serve a God who is generous and rich and desires for his people to be rich and in good health? And I use the word rich because the Bible uses that word. The Bible uses the word wealth and rich and prosperity. Those are all Bible words, so that's, that's why we use them. Uh, we've looked at several of the patriarchs, what kind of God they knew. They knew uh, a God who blessed them, a God who multiplied them and increased them spiritually, numerically, physically, materially, and financially. And we found that God has not changed. We serve the same God that Abraham and the patriarchs did. We found that in Christ, we have been redeemed from the curse and Abraham's blessing is ours today. It's still in effect. We learned some attributes about Abraham that enable God to bless him to the degree that he did. Uh, we found that he was obedient, he was generous, and he stayed out of strife. He was hospitable, and he was a tither. Now, uh, we see later on in Exodus chapter 12 where Abraham's descendants are leaving uh, Egypt as slaves. And um, the Bible says that the Israelites asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and clothes before they left. And the miracle is that the Egyptians gave it to them. You know, they said, I, I like that gold, I like that gold ring that, that you have. Can I have that? They said, Oh yeah, here, take it. <laughs> you know. They said, Oh, oh, I, I've always admired that silver necklace that, that you wear, you know, on special occasions. Could I have that necklace? Oh yeah, here, take it, you know. And and um it was a miracle. Uh and Psalm 105.37 says, He brought out Israel laden with silver and gold. And this was the first wealth transfer from the sinner to the righteous. And this, uh, these resources, were uh, these riches provided the resources to build the tabernacle in the wilderness. Now, we could spend a whole session just on the tabernacle and the temple, which uh, was God's house at that time in the, in the Old Covenant. They began with the 
uh, tabernacle in the wilderness, which was a basically a portable tent. We're, we're not going to go into great detail, but I just want to uh, kind of build a little foundation here and take a glimpse at the glory in God's house and the, uh, the standard that God has and the standard that God sets and what kind of taste and standards does God have. Um, so this tabernacle was basically a portable tent that they moved around from one place to another and God gave Moses specific instructions down to the letter about how to build it and what was to be in it. And later this tabernacle was replaced by the temple built by Solomon. So we can see what kind of God we serve just by looking at the construction of the tabernacle and the temple. Now, like I said, the tabernacle was a tent, but it was a nice tent. It was a lavish tent. It was an extravagant tent. Uh, what kind of God do we serve? This is just a brief description of the materials used to build the tabernacle. One ton of gold, three and three-fourths tons of silver, two and a half tons of bronze, now the present day cost of these precious metals, uh, one ton of gold today would be approximately 41,513,000 pounds. Three tons of silver would be 2,226,000 pounds. Uh, there was embroidered linen and tapestry and fine wood. There was linen with uh, gold threads uh, woven into the priest garments. The clothes that the preachers and the ministers were to wear had uh, gold thread and, and other fine yarns uh, woven into them. And this is a far, far cry from the standard we see today. I mean, you walk into some churches and you cannot even identify who the pastor is. Uh, they're wearing a t-shirt, worn out blue jeans and tennis shoes. You know, they're just dressed like everybody else. So you can see how the standards, generally speaking, and the ministry have dropped dramatically from what God set out in the Bible. Um, there were four rows of 12 precious stones incorporated into the priest's breastplate. Um, now this describes the cost. This is just for a portable, uh, temporary structure. And, it, uh, you know, we can see conservatively, it, it cost hundreds of millions of dollars or pounds to construct this. But it just shows you what kind of God we serve, that God has a taste for nice things. Now, David was not allowed to build the first uh, temple, but he made provision for his son Solomon to build it. Uh, we'll just turn to uh, 1 Chronicles uh, 22, and we'll just take a little glimpse here. Uh, in verse... It says, uh, Now David said, Solomon my son is young and inexperienced, 
and the exceeding, uh, the exceedingly, hang on, the house to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent, famous and glorious throughout all countries. I will now make preparation for it. So David made abundant preparations before his death. As far as David was concerned, there was nothing too good for God. David, all these men that we've studied, they had a prosperity mentality. They didn't have a poverty mentality. And God described David as a man after his own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Now, today, in some Christian circles, uh, you know, churches want to try to save God money, you know, by just buying the cheapest, cheapest thing out there, the cheapest furnishings. And they claim that they're just being good stewards and they're just trying to save God some money, you know. But I wonder if God ever sees that, that money that they've saved for him. But this was not the case with David. David had a prosperity mentality. And these uh, are the resources that he commissioned for the building of the temple. 3,750 tons of gold, 37,500 tons of silver. Verse 14 in 1 Chronicles 22 says, bronze and iron beyond measure, for it is so abundant. Verse 16, of gold and silver and bronze and iron, there is not limit. And David said to Solomon, just in case this is not enough, you can add more to it. <laughs> you know, if you don't think um, 3,750 tons of gold is enough, then you can add more if you want to, you know. So uh, do we see anything here that sounds like God is a God of scarceness or lack or has a poverty mentality? No. We see the words beyond measure with no limit. That doesn't sound like a poverty God to me. David was blessed uh, with abundant resources. The blessing of Abraham and the anointing of increase was on him and we saw how that passed down from one generation to the next. In addition to this vast sum of wealth that David commissioned kind of from the nation, he personally invested 110 tons of gold and 260 tons of silver that he personally added. Now, over a few pages in 1 Chronicles 29, uh, verse 6 to 8, uh, over and above this, the, uh, the leaders of families and other officials, they also wanted to, to give and contribute toward this. They gave 190 tons of gold, 375 tons of silver, 675 tons of bronze, and 3,750 tons of iron. In verse 8, it says, And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord. It took six and a half years to build this first temple. It took 150,000 construction workers 
with 3,600 foremen to oversee this work. Now, in addition to all these materials, think about the salary of paying 150,000 construction workers and their supervisors for six and a half years. We're talking about this was a multi-billion building project. And this was not man's idea, this was God's idea. Uh, so in all of this investment into the house of the Lord, there's no indication that God was stingy or coming up short or lacking in resources. And the, his, his people were not lacking either in order to construct this, this dwelling for God. Uh, so if, if God believed in poverty, you think he would practice it. But we don't see any indication here that God uh, desires that or lives that way himself. He is El Shaddai, and he is the God of more than enough. Now, if we look over at 1 Kings chapter 10, uh, you know, once this temple was constructed and all by Solomon, the queen of Sheba hears about the wisdom and the wealth of Solomon, and she comes to hear for herself because the, the whole known world at this time was aware of Solomon and his, his wisdom and wealth. And she may have been a pagan, but she was wise enough to seek out wisdom from a godly source. Uh, one Bible commentary says she traveled 1,500 miles. Now, obviously, as a queen, she traveled in style. Even at that time, uh, she, she brought a great entourage of people and servants with her, and she was laden with, with gifts. Uh, obviously, there were, you know, no, no luxury travel. I mean... Uh, you know, it's relative. She would have had whatever was the most luxurious at that time, but there were no trains, no planes, or anything like that. Uh, one uh, commentary said it could have taken her years to have made this journey. Um, so uh, verse 4, 1 Kings 10 says, And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house his personal house that he built, which took 13 years to build. That's twice as long as it took to build the temple. Uh, when she saw the, his wisdom, the house that he built, verse 5, the food on his table, the seating of his servants, the service of his waiters and their apparel, how they were dressed, his cupbearers and his entryway by which he went up, to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. Other translations say it took her breath away. She could hardly believe everything that she had seen. And as a queen who was wealthy in her own right, she was accustomed to royal splendor and luxury. But when she saw firsthand the wisdom of Solomon, and the glory of his kingdom. She was absolutely overwhelmed. She, she was breathless. I mean, today we would say she was blown away. 
by the, the food, the attentiveness of the servants, the way they were dressed, the beautiful stairway that led up to the house of the Lord. She was absolutely overwhelmed. Verse 6 says, Then she said to the king, It was a true report which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. However, I did not believe the words until I came and saw with my own eyes. And indeed, the half was not told me. She said, even what I heard, it's not half what I have seen. Your wisdom and prosperity exceed the fame of which I heard. Happy are your men and happy are these your servants who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who delighted in you, setting you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord has loved Israel forever, therefore he made you king to do justice and righteousness. So it, it's likely that, that the Queen of Sheba was a pagan, but even she realized that the Lord, the God of Israel, the only true living God, was the source of Solomon's blessings. And this is one of the major points that people miss in the prosperity message. Uh, this, uh, we, this, it was the wealth and, and wisdom of Solomon that attracted uh, her and the pagan world to come and see, to come and see his, his uh, to come and hear his wisdom and to see the glory uh, of God in his life. And, and we're to be walking advertisements to the unbelieving world to the goodness of God. And this is, this is a, a big part of the prosperity message that many people just overlook. They're so fixated on natural things that uh, they miss the bigger picture that, that God desires, that, that the unbelieving world be attracted to us by the goodness of God they see in our life. And that's exactly what happened here. Uh, do you think the Queen of Sheba would have traveled 1,500 miles to hear more about a God of poverty? I don't think so. And I don't think people are going to do that today either. Uh, it was the combination of God's wisdom and Solomon's material wealth that attracted the inquisitive pagan Queen of Sheba to travel 1,500 miles to find out more about Solomon's relationship with the only true and living God who was the source of, of his wisdom and blessing. And even she recognized that. Verse 10, 1 Kings 10. Then she gave the king 120 talents of gold. That's four and a half tons to you and me. This is what she brought with her. Spices and great quantity and precious stones. One commentary says her visit could have lasted for six months. You would think so after traveling 1,500 miles in the ancient times. Verse 13. Solomon sent her home with more than what she brought. 
This description of Solomon's measure of royal generosity to the Queen of Sheba also describes the measure of God's generosity toward us. So you can see the hospitality that he poured out on her. And in our last session, we saw that hospitality is one of the attributes that, that God can fully bless. We saw how uh, Abraham was hospitable, and, it, and we're admonished in the New Testament to be uh, hospitable. So what kind of God do we serve? We serve a rich God, a generous God. Verse 14 says, Solomon's yearly basic salary was 666 talents of gold. To you and me, that's between $280 million and $1 billion a year. No wonder when the Queen of Sheba saw all of this, she was blown away. Verse 18 says, Moreover, the king made a great throne of ivory and overlaid it with pure gold. Verse 21, All King Solomon's drinking vessels were gold. Not one was silver. For this was accounted as nothing in the days of Solomon. Gold was in such abundance, silver, they just tossed it to the side. They weren't even interested hardly in silver, you know. That'd be like today, giving somebody a hundred pound note and they say, no, I got lots of those. I don't need those. Just, just throw that away, you know. Um, so uh, this is rich, rich, rich. This is super abundance. And at no point do we see God sending a prophet to Solomon saying, you are just too greedy. I mean, this is too much. You need to sell all this and give it to the poor. Where have we heard that before? God didn't send a prophet to Solomon and rebuke him for all of this wealth. Um, you know, he didn't say, you don't need 1,400 chariots. One is enough. You know, well, why can't we have multiple cars? You know, why can't we have multiple houses and so forth? Now, you got to remember, Solomon originally did not set his heart on riches. He never asked God for riches. Neither did Abraham. Solomon didn't ask for riches. He wasn't seeking riches. God appeared to him in a dream and said, Ask me, what will I give you? Now... Today, that would be a dangerous question to ask a lot of people. You know, just ask me anything you want. But um, Solomon deliberately asked for wisdom to lead God's people. And because he asked for the correct thing, God said, I'm not only going to give you wisdom, I'm going to give you the wealth and the fame that you did not ask for. So obviously, it's God's will for him to have it. You know, it was God's will, even though he didn't ask for it. We see the promises of Deuteronomy 28 were fulfilled in his reign. He experienced overtaking blessings, blessed going out, blessed coming in, blessed in the storehouse, blessed, uh, you know, in the city, all he set his hand to, being the head and not the tail. Solomon experienced all of this during his reign. 
Verse 23 says, So King Solomon surpassed all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. So then we, be, we come to chapter 11. What's the very first word in chapter 11? But. <laughs> Solomon surpassed all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. But. 1 Kings 11 verse 1. But King Solomon loved many foreign women as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, You shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God as was the heart of his father David. The Bible says Solomon's wisdom and um, his wisdom exceeded all the men of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt for he was wiser than all men. We just, re just read his Proverbs that he wrote. He knew something about the principles of prospering in God. Abraham and Solomon both knew the principles necessary to prosper in God, and God taught them firsthand these principles. You know, we're, we're familiar with, uh, you know, honor the Lord with your substance and the first fruits of your increase, so your barns will be, uh, you know, filled and your vats uh, overflowing with new wine. That's, that's Solomon. So he knew, he knew these principles. So what happened here? When Solomon turned his affection toward these heathen women, uh, when God had forbidden it, what happened? You might want to write this down. No amount of wisdom enables you to disobey God. No amount of wisdom enables you to disobey God. Solomon, now as an old man, he had been walking with God his whole life, and he, he thought, I can handle this. I've been walking with the Lord all my life. I'm strong. These, these heathen women won't affect me. Their gods won't affect me. Uh, I, I can handle this. And we see... Uh, we see the same admonition given to believers in the New Covenant. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communication has light 
with darkness. 2 Corinthians 6.14 Yet how many believers over the centuries have disobeyed that command and married unbelievers thinking it won't affect me. You know, I can handle this. I'll win them over to the Lord. I, I'm, I'll never be unfaithful to God. I, I can, I'm strong. I can handle this. And, and nine times out of ten, we probably all know people, uh, they gradually stop going to church. Eventually, they stop going to church altogether. And they begin to follow their unbelieving spouse to ball games and car boot sales and shopping on Sunday. And they're completely out of fellowship with God. Nobody is smart enough and wise enough to, uh, to ignore the word. You can't associate with people who are yielding to uh, other spirits and it not affect you. The Bible says evil communication corrupts good manners. Uh, in Deuteronomy 28, after talking about all the blessings, God said there's a condition attached to them. Deuteronomy 28, 13, if, if you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today and are careful to observe them, so you shall not turn aside from any of the words which I command you this day, to the right or to the left, to go after other gods to serve them. 1 Kings 11 goes on to tell us about Solomon's idolatrous activities and downfall. Verse 5 says, For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians. Now this was the goddess of sexual promiscuity and prostitution connected with Baal worship. To the Greeks, she was known as Aphrodite. To the Romans, she was known as Venus. Her worship was saturated with carnality, sensuality, and unbridled open sexuality. This is the direction Solomon got into. These, these women turned his heart toward this. Verse 7, Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab. He built a place of worship for this idol. On the hill that is east of Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the people of Ammon. The worship of Molech involved child sacrifice. And this is the spirit behind the abortion industry today, the spirit of Molech. Solomon facilitated the worship of these idols for his heathen wives. Verse 9, So the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel who had appeared to him twice. God had appeared to him twice and he had already talked to him about these things. He already warned him about not getting into this. And, and you know, we see back there in Deuteronomy uh, earlier where God said that you shall have no other gods before me. Um, so when Solomon disobeyed God and turned away from him, he lost his kingdom 
and God raised up adversaries against him. Now, in our last session, we mentioned that obedience is one of the attributes necessary to experience the full blessing of God. And when God is no longer number one in your life, you cannot maintain the full blessing of God. I'm going to say that again. When God is no longer number one in your life, you cannot maintain the full blessing of God. This is a major foundational truth concerning the God kind of prosperity. We're coming, we're coming up now to the key to prospering in God. Second uh, uh, Chronicles, we won't look at all these examples, but we'll look at Second Chronicles uh, 26, verse 3 to 5. I'll just mention that one because that's an important one. We're, we're more familiar with this. Uh, 26.3-5 says Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king and he ruled in Jerusalem for 52 years. His mother's name was Jechaliah from Jerusalem. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord like everything that his father Amaziah had done. He continued to seek God throughout the days of Zechariah who trained him in the fear of God. As long as he sought the Lord, as long as he sought the Lord, what happened? As long as he sought the Lord, underline that phrase, God made him prosper. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. Who made him prosper? God made him prosper. And if you read the rest of this chapter, King Uzziah went on to build cities and farms, and he had a, a very strong army. He had a very successful reign. But... In verse 16, it says, but, and there's that word again. But, uh, when Zechariah, um, it says, but when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God, by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. And we won't go on to read all that, but you, you know that only the priests were allowed to offer, uh, you know, incense on the altar. And Uzziah said, eh, doesn't matter. I'm king. I can do what I want to do. And he disobeyed, he disobeyed God uh, again. And uh, so what happened here? Uh, Uzziah was under the, the uh, Zechariah, who was a much older man. Zechariah was his mentor, and he trained him in the things of God. He taught him to respect and obey God. But when Zechariah passed away and went on to be with the Lord, 
then Uzziah no longer had this godly influence, and he stopped seeking the Lord. And if you go on and read this story, his life ended in failure and destruction. Why? Because he stopped seeking the Lord. He stopped putting God first, and other, other things uh, began to have priority. Uh, second, just a few pages over, Second Chronicles 31, 21. Uh, uh, this uh, 31:21 says, "And in every work that he began in the house of God, in the law and in the commandment, this is Hezekiah." Uh, in every work that he began in the house of God, in the, the law and in the commandment, to do what? To seek God. In every work he began in the house of God, in the law and in the commandment, to seek his God, he did it with all his heart. And what was the result? It says, so he prospered. This is the key to the God kind of prosperity. Seeking God. Seeking God first. Solomon, Uzziah, Hezekiah, as long as they were seeking God, they prospered. Does this remind you of any scripture in the New Testament? Matthew 6.33 Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. Now the word seek here in the original Greek means to seek by inquiring, to research, to seek out, to get to the bottom of a matter. So when we seek the Lord, what are we seeking? We're seeking his will his plan, his ways. That's what we're seeking. And he said, if Jesus said, if we seek first the kingdom of God and his ways and his plan, and, and we do it, then all these things, what things is he talking about? If you read a few verses before, Jesus is talking about what you eat, what you drink, what you wear. He's talking about the material uh, things and requirements of life here on earth, material possessions here on earth. Um, these material things are temporary, and that's why we have to keep our priorities in order. Now, in uh, Luke 12, it, it also... Uh, I think this uh, Seek Ye First the Kingdom is also mentioned over here in Luke 12. We're not going to read all of it. But I do want to read um, Luke 12, 13. Jesus is, is uh, teaching here. It says, Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. <laughs> now how many... How many families do you know have split up and fought over inheritance? It happens all the time, doesn't it? 
And uh, verse 14, Jesus said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Did Jesus say beware of prosperity? No. He did say um, beware of covetousness. He didn't say beware of material things and money. He said beware of covetousness. That's the problem. That's the money and possessions are not the problem in prosperity. The, the problem is covetousness. That's what Jesus warned us about. Not money, not possessions. Covetousness is desiring something you know you're not supposed to have. And the things here that Jesus is talking about being added to us, these, these are the promises of God. These are things he wants us to have. He's not talking about things we're not supposed to have. He's talking about uh, our, in, our inheritance. He's talking about uh, the promises of God being fulfilled, the, the blessing of Abraham being fulfilled in our life. That's what he's talking about when he talks about these things shall be added to you. Money and possessions in themselves they're just inanimate objects. They have, they have no power in themselves. It, money is neither evil nor good. It just depends on who has it and what their motives are. When Jesus said, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, all these things will be added to you. These are things he wants us to have. So he's not talking about things we're not supposed to have. Uh, if Jesus were talking about things we're not supposed to have or desire, then why did he turn around and say they'll be added to you when you seek him first? Verse 16, Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? since I have no room to store my crops. So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store up my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. There's nothing wrong with having savings accounts and investments. But this man is putting his security and his trust in his possessions. He's also taking credit for everything that he has. There's, there's no mention of acknowledging God for what he has. 
Notice the words I and my. I will do this. I will store up my crops, my barns. Eleven times in three verses, he uses the word I and my. The focus is all on him. Now, in the strictest sense of the word, we don't really own anything here on earth, and we shouldn't get so hung up on that because it's all temporary. This is all just going to melt one day, and I don't care what kind of a fancy car you got, one day it's just going to be a pile of rust out on a junk pile somewhere. Uh, so, when you have so much, you don't have any more room for it like this man did, maybe we should think about giving some of it away and sharing it and investing in other people. Now, uh, we'll just kind of finish up here in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6. 1 Timothy 6. Now, this is a scripture, this is one of the favorite scriptures of the anti-prosperity people uh, who preach against what they call the prosperity message. Uh, but you can't, you can't pull one verse out of the Bible and build a doctrine on it while ignoring all the rest of the scriptures in the Bible on that subject. Uh, over the past few weeks and sessions, we've looked at many scriptures and many examples of uh, confirming God's will and desire for us to prosper and be in health. And, and you can't take one verse out of the Bible and ignore all these other scriptures that we've looked at. The Bible does not contradict itself. It, it all agrees. And if somebody thinks they found a contradiction, they've just come up on something that they don't understand because the Bible does not contradict itself. Now, 1 Timothy 6, verse 5 it talks about men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain from such withdraw yourself. Now godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Now that's true but it doesn't say anything about not having anything while you're here. We came in with nothing, we're going to leave with nothing. But it doesn't say we're not to have anything while we're here. And that's, that's the way many people interpret this. And they use this to preach against the God kind of prosperity. Verse 8, And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire, notice the word desire, to be rich, fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men and destruction and perdition. Now many people will read this, they'll focus on this verse and they'll say, see there, you don't want to be rich, you don't want to be rich because you're going to end up being destroyed, you're going to end up in destruction. Well, if you just take that one verse and preach that, what are you going to do with all these other verses 
and all these other scriptures and examples in the Bible that we've been looking at for a couple of months. What are you going to do with all those scriptures? You can't... You... You... This is uh, 1 Timothy uh, 6, 9. 1 Timothy 6, 9. You can't just take one verse and nullify the rest of the Bible. The Passion Translation says, but those who crave the wealth of this world, notice we're seeing the word desire and crave. Those who crave the wealth of this world slip into spiritual snares. They become trapped by the troubles that come through their foolish and harmful desires, driven by greed and drowning in their own sinful pleasures. The Amplified Bible says, but those who uh, are not financially ethical and crave to get rich, there's the word crave again, with a compulsive, greedy longing for wealth, fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction leading to personal misery. Now, how you acquire money and possessions is also very important. It's not just having it, it's how you acquired it is also important. God is not going to bless illegal and unethical activity. There are prisons full of people who coveted after something they were not supposed to have and they were willing to do anything to get it. Um, but if you have something nice, something expensive, some, something that, God, that, that somebody blessed you with and gave you, why shouldn't you be able to enjoy it? If you have sown finances into good ground for a specific desire or need, why shouldn't you be able to enjoy it when it's manifested in your life? But if, if, if your attitude changes once you get that, that expensive thing, once you get that new car or new house or whatever, if your attitude changes and all of a sudden you think you're better than everybody else because you, what you got then you need to spend some time in prayer because that, that is wrong. Jesus said one's life does not consist in the abundance of their possessions. What we have is not who we are. It's just what we have. Their blessings and their tools to get a job done. So we need to keep our focus and our priorities in the right Place. It doesn't matter how much stuff you accumulate. If you don't have God first in your life, you're not going to be able to enjoy any of it. But did Jesus say, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and if you focus on that, you won't have any of these things? No, he didn't say that. He said if you put God first, you won't have anything. No, he said if you put God first, all these material, temporary things will be added to you. So does he want us to have them or not? Yes, he does. He does, or he wouldn't say that, he, that they would be added to you. Proverbs 10.22 says, 
the Lord's blessing makes a person rich and no trouble is added to it. When God prospers you, when God makes you rich, because you put him first and keep him first, it does not cause you trouble. It's a blessing. It's not a burden. It's not trouble. It's a blessing. So the problem is not the stuff you have. The problem is what you focus on. It's the condition of your heart. It's your priorities. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Verse 10. For money is the root of all evil. Is that what it says? Is money the root of all evil? No, the love of money, the craving, the, the desire, uh, the driving force uh, to, to get money, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. We've seen that wealth was not Solomon's downfall. Wealth and possessions did not turn his heart away from God. He used his wealth to build the house of God and glorify God. As a matter of fact, as long as he was seeking God with all of his wealth and splendor, he was doing very, very well. His wealth and possessions were seen by the known world. They came from thousands of miles to personally see the blessing that, and, and the wisdom he had from the only true living God of Israel. The God of Israel was a source of Solomon's wisdom and blessing, not Ashtoreth, not Baal, not some other false god. It was a witness to the pagan world, and that's what we should be aiming for, not just accumulating a bunch of stuff that's temporary. Solomon was one of the richest men who ever lived, but he did not covet wealth. He sought after the wisdom of God, and God added the wealth to him. So we've seen that money and material things in itself is not evil, and having it does not make you covetous. Having wealth and, and great possessions does not make you covetous. It's, it's a condition of the heart. Adam and Eve knew they were not supposed to eat of that tree of life. Solomon knew he was not supposed to have any dealings with heathen women and their false gods. Uh, this is our last scripture, Colossians 3. Colossians 3, verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things, there's the word seek again, seek those things which are above. Where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God, well, we're seated there with him right now. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's where our, our life is in Christ, not in things. 
When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore put to death your members, which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and what? Covetousness, which is idolatry. The New Testament says covetousness is idolatry. It's the same as worshiping another god. Idolatry is as prevalent today as it was 4,000 years ago. Uh, even, you know, even though somebody may not have a rock or a statue or a false god in their house worshiping it, there are many other forms of idolatry today. God told Israel, you shall have no other gods before you. He is a jealous God. Covetousness is anything that, that you put above God. Anything you prize more, you focus on it more, and it puts God to the side. That's covetousness. And it doesn't, that's not necessarily worshiping a false God or a statue or a tree or a rock. You can see the myriad of 21st century possibilities of idolatry that would fit into this category besides money and possessions. Your spouse is not first. Your children are not first. Your job is not first. God is first, and as long as you seek the Lord, he will make you prosper. Amen? So, let's say this together. Everyone within the sound of my voice. As long as I seek the Lord and put him first, he will prosper me more and more. Amen.